0: You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning, Word of Life. So glad you were able to come and be a part of uh, the service with us this weekend. Um, So you may notice I'm wearing a hoodie, and it's pretty cool. Um, We got these made up for the staff for a very, very early Christmas gift. Um, And we are a church. We are not in the business of selling hoodies. But... We wanted to make them available to the congregation. So you can either head to the website at wordoflifeag.org slash merch, um, or you can head to the info desk, and uh, we'll definitely help you take care of that. Um, and I really mean it. We are not in the business of making hoodies, so we don't expect to make a profit off of this. But if there is a net profit, we're going to make sure that any funds uh, go towards missions and uh, different outreach initiatives. So if you like a really cool hoodie, head to the info desk or head to the website, and it uh, sounds like a plan. All righty. Without deliberately um, doing so, and without necessarily planning it this way, um, today will flow very naturally from what we talked about last week. And so today we're going to look at another parable, and we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, they, even eating with them is that in that culture, that custom, that time to, to sit down and share a meal with someone was to, sort of that, that is the highest seal of public approval, that I'm going to sit down, I'm going to publicly spend time and let it be known that I'm breaking bread and I'm fellowshipping and I'm associating with these kinds of people. So from the outset, from what we just read in Luke 15, from the outset, we understand what it is that Jesus is addressing. The religious leaders are upset that Jesus is spending time and associating publicly with the people that society looked down on. These were the people that you weren't permitted to uh, participate in the religious activities. These are the people that you wouldn't want your kids to date, but Jesus is spending time with these kinds of people. These are the people that Jesus welcomes and embraces. It reads, if you read the rest of the stories we're going to do in just a moment, but it reads like Jesus is addressing a mixed crowd. In the crowd of people that Jesus is teaching, it seems like there's both a mixture of sinners and tax collectors and people that are looked down upon as well as uh, the religious leaders and the Pharisees. I would assume that the crowd and the environment that Jesus is talking to is a tense environment. Among the people that Jesus is talking to, there are people who are surprised and I would even say relieved to find a respectable teacher who will give them dignity and treat them with respect. And then only to have the Pharisees, who we talked a lot about last week, they turn up and demand that the sinners be treated with disgrace and scorn, and that they continue to be ostracized and rejected. And Jesus is there in front of these two groups of people, people who among that society had lots of respect and were looked up to and were honored, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and then on the other side, he also had people in that room or in that space where he's talking, and they were looked down upon, they were despised, they were pushed away from society and into this environment that I would expect to be tense, possibly ready to explode into a conflict. I would imagine you could hear a pin drop. Jesus tells three stories. He tells these stories to bring a new perspective and even a correction. So carrying on into verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If one person claps, we all have to. But Jesus then goes on to tell a second story. In verse 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Now, these two shorter stories that have now set the stage for a third story that is significantly longer but emphasizes the same point. And Before we get to the third story, which we'll walk through, let's consider how Jesus has set the table or how he has framed the conversation and framed up this teaching. Through storytelling, Jesus uses these parables to communicate to the people he's talking to and he shares with them God's perspective on the sinful people he's spending time with. Interestingly, he calls them lost, The picture of people as lost sheep is especially found throughout the whole Bible, specifically the phrase sheep without a shepherd. You often see that throughout the scriptures. The lost coin and the lost sheep, it deliberately have a lot of similarities in the stories. For the shepherd and for the widow, they both show some of the same feelings that they have towards the thing that's been lost. Towards the sheep and the lost coin, we see that there's sorrow and concern about what's been lost. They both show an effort to find what's been lost. And in the eyes of both the shepherd and the widow, the value of what's been lost hasn't changed just because they're lost. Then, what has been found, we see there is joy from both the shepherd and the widow. And importantly, for the tense environment that Jesus is speaking into, and the truth that he's bringing, even confrontationally, Jesus makes sure that he mentions and lets them know the reaction of the friends and the loved ones of the people who had lost something that has now been found. We see this in verse 6. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors. And he will say to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And then at the end of the story about the lost coin, when she finds it, she will call in, we see it again, her friends and neighbors. And say, rejoice with me. Because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The true emphasis from these two parables is that when someone who is lost, who is distant from God, when someone whose life choices have gotten them into devastating situations, when someone who has disgraced God, someone has ruined their lives, people who have broken trust with their loved ones, people who know God and willfully push Him away, Someone who turns to the ways of the world to find meaning and purpose. Someone who gives in to temptation. People who let their selfishness drive their lives. Those are the lost people. And when people go from being lost to being found, God himself rejoices and the citizens of heaven and the angels rejoice also. Now this means, and this is often an overlooked element of these parables, This means that those who love God rejoice also. So to the Pharisees, that Jesus is once again having to correct and show them the errors of their ways. When a sinner, someone who is shamefully disqualified, someone who deserves to be rejected and never thought of again, someone who is unquestionably guilty, when you see and watch those people become found and restored and forgiven, if you love God, you will rejoice and celebrate. And in doing so, you're celebrating in harmony with the angels and with God himself. If they refuse to see that, if they refuse to correct their thinking, then they're not spiritually superior. They're not extra holy. Their assumptions about being better than everyone else are wrong. Because while God himself, the angels and God's people are celebrating, they're on the outside upset about what's happening on the inside. In Jesus' teaching about being lost and found, There's sorrow and concern about people who are lost. God is working to bring lost people home. The value of a person doesn't change whether they're lost or not. God rejoices when someone who is lost is found. And those who love God join with heaven in celebrating. Now, the two parables about the shepherd and the widow, they, they set the stage for a much longer story, which is often called the parable of the prodigal son. As we'll see, it might be more appropriate for it to be known as the parable of the lost sons, plural. And we'll go through it, and we'll stop every few verses to reflect on what we've just read. So picking this up in Luke 15, verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. I want to consider the severity of what has just been said. It's very literally a son going to his father and saying, Dad, I want to live as if you were dead. This is a son saying to his father, I honestly believe I'll be happier, more fulfilled, better off if you were dead. The shock and scandal of the story is that the insolence of the son is not met with the strongest rebuke from his father, but the father goes along with his son's request. To further appreciate the request the son is making, we should remember that this inheritance was not liquid money that's in a savings account. In ancient times, this meant selling the land that your family owns and giving the son the proceeds. In that time, in that culture, you would find that the oldest son would get a double portion. So if you had two sons, it would mean that the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance when it was time, and the younger son would get one-third. Now, I want you to imagine what you would have to do to give one-third of your entire net worth to your kids. Cashing out the 401ks, selling the house, figuring out what the total cost is, and giving away one-third of it. Whatever vehicles, savings account, whatever it is, taking one-third and giving it to the son. That is the severity of the request of the son. And shockingly, the father goes along with the request. And Jesus is continuing to talk around the theme of lost and found. And at a point in the story with the younger brother, we see that this begins the son's experience of being lost. A few days later... This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Now an honest question I would put to you is that this story has been told, retold, and read countless times in the past 2,000 years. I would say millions, possibly billions of times, this story has been read and told. And has anyone ever listened to this story and heard the setup of a young man cashing in his inheritance early and heading to Vegas to live large and in charge? Would anybody think to themselves, this is going to have a happy ending? We all know instinctively that this is going to end in disaster. This is going to lead to upset. And sure enough, the money runs out, and to make matters worse, a famine sweeps the land. This kid has lived it up, he flew first class for a while, he enjoyed being a big shark. Then the money ran out, the famine hit, and he was left begging a farmer to let him feed the pigs. Now keep in mind how abhorrent pigs are to the Jewish people, and this is how he ends up. Alone, broke, disgraced, stuck in a pig pen. Jealous of the food the pig's eating, We come to verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I'm done with this. I'm going home. I'm going to beg for mercy. In this verse that we read in verse 17, when he finally came to his senses. As I was reflecting on this passage this week and getting ready for this morning, it stood out to me that these words are some of the most hope filled words in Scripture. Somebody who is lost, who has rejected the Father, has believed the lie that the way to happiness and fulfillment is found outside of living in God's will. We read the words that many, many people all across the world are praying for their children or family members or loved ones, that they finally come to their senses. Now, we don't do this routinely, um, but I can't just skip over this moment. When he finally came to his senses. We have an expression that we use in modern English, and it's to be determined and ready for a fight, we'll say we take a stand. And so I know everyone's just got comfortable, but I invite you to stand right now. And we're going to pray for the children, the adult children, friends, family, loved ones that need to come to their senses. And if you're comfortable and you're willing to say, I have someone in my life that needs to come to their senses, feel free to raise a hand. If you're around somebody that's got their hand up, hopefully everyone's okay, but just put a hand on a shoulder and say, come home, come to your senses. Come on, church, pray with me. Lord, you know what these hands represent, you know what the people that are stood represent, you know every single hurt, you know every single pain that's represented here. Lord, you know. You know the details of why people are running away from you. You know the, the, the details and the real truth behind why people are running away from you and running towards the pig pen. Lord, we ask you to move. Lord, we ask you to move. We ask for breakthrough. We ask for the truth to be believed. Lord, we ask that love and compassion and grace would finally break through. Lord, we pray that eyes would be wide open. Lord, we take this verse and we say, come to your senses. Sons, daughters, brothers, sisters, loved ones, co-workers, in Jesus' name, come to your senses. There is a father that loves you. My friend, it is time to come home. In Jesus' name, come to their senses. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I appreciate you praying with me. Please take a seat. (laughs) Carrying on in verse 20. After coming to his senses, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now, this has become an illustration of the love and grace of God that has captured the attention of countless people since Jesus first told the story 2,000 years ago. Megan recently framed a picture in her office that depicts the father running to meet the prodigal son that I wanted to show you now so you can kind of get the, a great visual that we have. And there's no words on this print, but you see exactly what's going on, the son coming on his knees and the father bolting to go meet him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, this could be the end of our story, and we would learn so much about the love that God has for us. We would learn so much about the, the depths of God's forgiveness and the hope that we can have for the most wayward and the lost loved ones that we have, that they would come home. This is a great story. But we already read in verse 11, a man has two sons. Two sons. So far, we've only heard anything about the younger brother, and we don't have any guesses about what's happening with the older son. And the flow of the story changes directions. For the younger brother, in essence, his story has been concluded. It's all resolved. He left. It went terribly. He came to his senses, came home. And instead of being chastised and belittled and having to beg to be a servant, he was fully reinstated as a child of the house. Killing the fattened calf was the kind of celebration that you invited the whole village to. The suggestion is that the party was the same kind of magnitude as a bar mitzvah or a wedding. Now, this is a happy ending to a story that seemed like a happy ending would be impossible. But there's another brother, an older brother, a brother who didn't wish his father was dead, a brother who didn't disgrace the family name, a brother who didn't end up in the pig pen. In verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now keep in mind the the two stories that preceded this one, the two stories that set the stage for us. A shepherd loses a sheep, and when the sheep is found, he celebrates, and others celebrate with him. A widow loses a coin, and she finds it, and she celebrates, and others celebrate with her. So far in the parable of the lost sons, the first son is lost and he's found the father celebrates and the whole village joins the celebration. And we see that pattern, lost, found, celebration. So the dangling question is, what's the brother going to do? In verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Now, of course, we're supposed to understand that the older brother is the problem. The anger at his brother returning, his disgust at what his little brother got up to in Vegas. He never did any of that stuff. He worked hard. He listened. He obeyed his father. And we should also recognize that the actions of the younger brother affected the older brother. The younger son leaving brought shame on the family. The scandal never just affects the guilty. The innocent are also wrapped up in the gossip and the jokes and the ridicule. The inheritance that the younger son received, according to the custom, would have been one-third of the total wealth of the family. But the oldest son got double portion, so family with two sons would have meant that the oldest son received uh, two-thirds and the younger one-third. But because the inheritance was given prematurely, it now meant that the family wealth is fully 33% less than what it was. The land that the father would have had to sell to get money to give the younger son is now owned by someone else. The actions of the younger son didn't just affect him, but the rest of the family, including the older brother that was dragged into the drama. All of his brother's bad behavior, his sinful behavior, is contrasted with his own record as a good son. The anger we see from the older brother is not surprising. And all of it comes down to, I deserve your blessing. I deserve your favor and generosity. That fattened calf should have been mine. This party should have been celebrating how amazing I am. And this is when we realize he's lost too. He doesn't look lost. In fact, he looks very found. But found people are close to the father. And the people close to the father celebrate when lost sons are found. Those close to the father rejoice when wayward sons who wish the father was dead come to their senses, return home, and take their place back in the house as a son. Found people don't become envious of the grace lost people receive. Found people rejoice. Despite the list of reasons why he has earned his place in the house, we see that he's distant. But the father goes looking for him too. The father asked the older son to join the celebration. Come and be found. Don't be lost in your self-righteousness and pride. Verse 31, his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. And then the story stops. The story ends right there. What happens to the older brother? The father is begging him to join the party. Does he come in or does he stay outside in defiance? It's not the father's desire that the older son be left outside, but to be left outside is to be lost. Because he's removed himself from the party, he's distancing himself from the father. What was the ending for the older brother? My friends, we don't know. But the sudden ending, the cliffhanger, it would have cut through the tension in the room that Jesus is talking to. And something I bring to you today is that found people celebrate when lost people come home. Found people celebrate when lost people come home. And let's remember how this whole passage started all the way back in verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them in the atmosphere of both self-righteousness and shame. A room that was full of judgmentalism as well as insecurity, where some would receive honor from their peers, but others would receive disrespect and scorn day after day. There were some in that room who knew that they were lost and were overjoyed that they could be found. And there were others in that room who were very, very confident they were found and had no idea how lost they were. And Jesus drops the hammer. Essentially saying, if you were as close to God as you want everyone to think you are, you would be rejoicing and celebrating just like heaven is celebrating. Celebrate that the lost are coming home and the disqualified are being restored. Instead, despite all your hard work and obedience, you're the one that's lost because you don't even know what God cares about. But there's grace for you too. You can join the party. You don't have to stay outside. In fact, I want the religious hypocrites inside celebrating with me just as much as I want sinful people to come to their senses and leave their past behind and enjoy being home. Now I made a note to try and sort of give some order to this today and I came up with seven ways to stop being lost and live found. Seven ways. We good with seven? All right. All right. How to stop being lost and live found. Number one, come to your senses. How to stop being lost and live found. Number one, come to your senses. The importance of coming to your senses. I've said this before and there's a 100% chance, I'll say it again. We don't hate sin because we're angry, judgmental people. We hate sin because we love people and sin ruins people's lives. There's no way to read this story about God's lavish and unreserved grace that gives the slightest suggestion that sin is good. There's not a single one of us who would imagine that a young kid who wanted to completely reject his family, act like they were all dead and was given his entire inheritance, ran off to go party. No one would expect that story to end well. Every single one of us has seen enough in life to know that where this ends, it's not good. Whether we've seen it in our own lives or in the lives of others, this story ends in the pig pen. Sin has a 100% track record. It doesn't lead to happiness and fulfillment because it can't. Sin can't lead to happiness and fulfillment any more than cotton candy can be a healthy diet or driving everyone in reverse can be the safest way to drive. Our efforts and motive as a church to preach right living and teach what the Bible says about morality and behavior is not motivated by a desire to control or coerce people. It's a sincere desire to help people be free of all the things that distort and ruin their relationship with God Almighty and distort their relationship with others. I hope people get up and leave the pig pen behind because I want people to find the joy and peace that I found when I decided to follow Jesus. The pig pen is a miserable place to be, but somehow the world keeps convincing us that it's the best place imaginable. I will continue to pray and believe that people will come to their senses and be ready to leave the pig pen behind. How to stop being lost and live found. Second thing, find hope in repentance find hope in repentance it's a crying shame that the word repentance has become wrapped up in judgmentalism and angry preaching my friends true repentance is a promise of hope true repentance is a promise of hope if we preach repentance as a really serious apology and the appropriate response to guilt and we don't expand any further beyond that it's no wonder that the word repent and the idea of repentance is loaded with hang-ups But it is imperative, it is essential that we continue to declare that in Jesus, true repentance is a promise of hope because it's the promise of a new start. It's the promise of forgiveness. It's the promise of being restored and healed in our relationship with God. Repentance is the promise of being born again and it's the promise of eternal life. Repentance is not negative. If one person claps, we all have to, my friend. Repentance is not negative. It is an indescribable positive. It is received with joy and optimism and gratitude. Repentance is a promise of hope. How to stop being lost and live found. Third thing, know where to go home. Know where to go home. Knowing where to go when you're done with the pig pen. In the parable, home is the father's house. In essence, it's the relationship with the father. Now, it might be overly simplified to just simply substitute the word, you know, Father's house and then just say the church. But we are certainly, as a church, called to represent the kingdom of God. The church is called to make disciples. And big brothers who are angry at the kids coming home aren't going to help anything. Back in Luke's gospel, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God. There is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. My hope and my prayer for years has been that high school kids and college age young adults will wake up and see all the promises of the world, all the wisdom of culture. It's not working, it's not working. And a hunger and desperation from God would awaken among young people. What I am begging God to see in my lifetime is the Bible preaching churches all across America are packed with young people finding out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. We're having baptisms in a few weeks and I can't wait, I'm serious, I cannot wait. I'm annoying people with how excited I am. But we're ready, we're ready in the months and years ahead to baptize masses of people who are done believing the lies of the world, who are done going with the drift of culture, and who are ready to return to a loving Heavenly Father whose love is beyond measure. And the church should be the place where lost people find people who are overjoyed that someone has come home. The church should be the place that they find answers and support and a sincere sense of belonging. When someone is ready to come home, I pray they know where home is. How to stop being lost and live found. Number four, start where you are. Start where you are. People have to start somewhere. When I turned to Jesus, when I became a believer, when I repented and said, Jesus, I wanna follow you, I had to start wherever I was. And that's true for me, as it is for any other believer anywhere ever. However you leave the pig pen and arrive, arrive at the Father's house, Our commitment is that we're overjoyed that you've started. In the parable, we can see that people are celebrating because the son came home. They're celebrating not because he's finished. They're celebrating because he started. He's back. He's starting to take his sonship in the house again. I've met people who are broken. I've met people who their life of pig pen, if you want to call it that, was entirely their fault. They just made bad decision after bad decision. They completely destroyed their lives. I've met people who are victims. And because of what other people did, their life became an absolute mess. I've met everything in between. My friends, it doesn't matter why you are the way you are. It doesn't matter why you're distant from God. It doesn't matter the specifics that you're carrying. It doesn't matter what your pig pen looked like. It doesn't matter how bad you smell. You have to start somewhere and start where you are. Number five, give second chances in abundance. Give second chances in abundance. Jesus opens up the opportunity to compare our relationship with God as you would a child to a father. Jesus is the one that makes that comparison to help enrich our understanding. My friends, what parent has only ever given one chance to their children? Which parent has a child that would make a mistake and then never give them another chance to do it better next time? Maybe you need a second chance. Maybe you need to be more prepared to give a second chance. But how to stop being lost and live found? Number five, give second chances in abundance. How to stop being lost and live found? Number six, celebrate what God celebrates. Reflect God's joy when someone comes home. The older brother didn't share the father's heart and consequently didn't celebrate what the father celebrated. We see this in Luke 15, verse 23. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Every step in the life of faith is worth celebrating. Someone who's asking questions and is curious about Jesus, that's something to celebrate. Someone who makes that first-time decision to follow the Lord, that's worth celebrating. Someone who's baptized, we're going to celebrate. Someone who's growing and maturing in their faith and taking steps in true discipleship, that's something to celebrate. If ever I'm speaking to a new believer and they just casually mention in conversation that I was reading in my Bible the other day, my heart explodes with joy. I, I try and keep it cool, but I'm overjoyed when I hear that a new believer is digging into the Bible and hearing about who, ama- who God is and how amazing he is. Seventh thing how to stop being lost and live found. Never visit the pig pen. Never visit the pig pen. Avoid the pig pen altogether. Uh, Christians, we typically love a dramatic testimony. The people who share that their conversion to Christianity started while they were on the run from the FBI and escaped to Bolivia and infiltrated the local village pretending to be a witch doctor, but really they were smuggling cocaine for the cartel and at the same time helping the mafia bribe boxes into throwing the big fight, and then I met Jesus. We love those stories. We love those stories, but that's not the story that I want for my kids. I don't want my kids to end up in a pig pen, jealous of the food the pigs are eating. And then, after suffering with the pigs, then they come to their senses. I don't want their story to be dramatic and full of twists and turns because those stories are filled with pain and regret. I want my kids to grow up with a strong faith and truly trusting that Jesus is who he says he is and that it is right and logical that they follow him with absolutely everything. And there are many people in this room today and that is your story. You came to faith at a young age, and you've just faithfully built your life one step at a time, and you've avoided so much of the pain that others have walked into. That's what I want for my kids. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for the people that you love. It's what I want for anybody. Have a boring testimony. How to stop being lost and live found? Firstly, come to your senses. Secondly, find hope in repentance. Know where to go home, start where you are, give second chances in abundance, celebrate what God celebrates and never visit the pig pen. If we love people, not in word only, but sincerely love people, we will want them to get out of the pig pen and into the party. The mess of people's lives doesn't stop us extending grace, but rather increases how we extend grace. I want people out of the pig pen. I want people free from the devastation of sin. I want addictions broken. I want hurt and confusion healed. I couldn't go today without sharing my favorite verse in the whole Bible from Romans 5 verse eight. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, before we ever even tried to apologize before we ever even tried to clean ourselves up, before we ever even tried to rebuild our lives, He died for us and accepted us so that we could live in a healed, whole, restored relationship with the Father so that we could live free, free from the past, free from sin, free from shame, free from the curse, true freedom. In Galatians, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Walking with people as they find their footing and as they learn to live and think in the new life that they have, it might take time, it might take patience, it'll definitely take second chances. To do so and walk alongside people will have to risk disappointment. We'll have to discern and pray for the right timing to have difficult conversations. This verse for Colossians stood out to me this week. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Some people will get out of the pig pen and be ready to be done with everything, ready to leave anything and everything that hinders their relationship with God behind. But others, others will have questions. Others might not understand or agree with kingdom values and priorities. But believers waiting outside while the party is in full swing doesn't help. The son comes home and the father asks the servant to get the robe and the ring and the sandals. It wouldn't have helped if the servants refused, saying, I'm not doing anything to help that ungrateful squandering loser. Each and every one of us, we have been forgiven an unsurmountable debt. We have received grace that will take an eternity to discover. And it is a scandal and an offense to God to withhold that forgiveness and grace to others. My friends, let's take our place inside the party, celebrating the lost people are coming home. Now in the three parables we read today, something was lost, it was found, and then there was a celebration. While things were lost, there was sorrow, concern, There was an effort to find what had been lost and in the eyes of the shepherd, the widow, and the father, the value of what had been lost didn't change whether it was lost or not. And seven thoughts about how to stop being lost and live found. Come to your senses. Find hope in repentance. Know where to go home. Start where you are. Give second chances in abundance. Celebrate what God celebrates and never visit the pig pen. And found people celebrate when lost people come home. I've got a couple of questions I put to you. If you're in the habit of writing these down and making a note, maybe get a chance to reflect on these this week and maybe talk it over with somebody you trust. But the first thing is how should we celebrate and respond when someone comes home? How should we celebrate and respond when someone comes home? And The second question, how do we help people live as a restored member of the house? How do we help people live as a restored member of the house? Would you stand with me before we go back into a time of worship together? Luke 15, starting verse 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Lord, we want to celebrate where you celebrate. Lord, we want to celebrate with the citizens of the heaven, the angels, and with you yourself that lost people are coming home, lost people are being found. Lord, help us be a church where people know that if they go to their senses and they run here, they will meet the Father here. That we will help people learn how to live as a son or daughter of the house here. Lord, we expect you to move in mighty ways. We want you, we're asking you, we're pleading with you to bring lost people home. In Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's spend some time in worship together.